they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome to the Bible with the Barbers. You know how we're doing it? My wife is coming in right now with the baby. We're babysitting, so I'm going to start the show, and then I, she'll pass the duty on to me. But I just want to mention, if you just heard the show about St. Padre Pio, pray for us. What a great saint he is. And I think of the need for the church today to have great saints. And we're all called to become saints. That's what the Bible says. You know, we're, we're St. Paul says, be imitators of me as I am imitators of him. So this is why it's important that we read the Bible. And I think of what Bishop Joseph Strickland says consistently on our network, that we have to become first century Christians. 20, yeah, 21st, in the 21st century. First century. What does he mean by that? The first century, meaning that they gave it all to Jesus. And if we think about today in the church, we need more people willing to die for the faith because they're so convicted and that they're so much involved in falling in love with Jesus Christ and his bride, the church, that they're willing to do that. How do you do that? By having that relationship. And if we're not reading God's word every single day, what kind of relationship are we having? It's not much. The, who's influencing who? Is the world influencing us more? than the church. And I have to say, this is why Virgin Most Powerful Radio is out today. We are trying to rekindle the love of Christ and his church into the churches. Because if you think about every Catholic who comes in, eight people are leaving. Well, if that's the case, which it is, then we're not doing something right. And what I would persuade people to say is that we need to redirect our actions towards Christ rather than to the world. We've become too worldly. And it doesn't take much to do that. The world, the devil, and the flesh are out to get us. So how do we stop that? By reading God's word and being convicted that this word of God, as my wife said last week about the inerrancy of Scripture, what do we believe that the Bible is? Gone with the wind? No! And Pope Benedict XVI back in 1985 said it well. In the Ratzinger report, he said the big problem in the church today is that people think that the church is like the Optimist Club. It doesn't have any supernatural value. Well, that's not true. The church is the bride of Christ. And the bride right now is being wounded. And that's why I want to turn this over to my wife right now and I'll be babysitting because we know I say this to women with babies. I say, you're changing the world one diaper at a time. This is the future of the church. We're like you. We're just ordinary people. We're grandparents, you know, a couple kids. And, you know, we're uh, trying to live out our faith because we know that life is short and eternity is forever. And so this is why it's important that we study our Bible every day, whether you can get the daily mass. If not, read the readings. So I'm going to switch gears and right now leave my, let my wife come in and uh, she'll turn over. And I'll be right with you. Oh, here's my 
Good afternoon on this Friday, September the 16th. My mother always used to say better late than never. So <laughs> that's the principle we work on. So Terry was talking to you about the importance of reading the Bible every day, the daily readings at the Mass. And this week we've had some pretty incredible feast days, and I really want to talk about that. Um, we had the feast of what's called the Triumph of the Cross, and followed that the day after the Feast of the Triumph of the Cross, we have the Feast of the Sorrowful Mother, our Blessed Mother Mary. Remember in John's Gospel it said that Mary stood at the foot of the cross. She was there at the cross of her son. So our Blessed Mother not only brought him into the world, she stayed with him throughout his public ministry, and in the end she was there with him at the foot of the cross. And she buried him. And then she stayed to um, nurture the church. Remember at the foot of the cross, Jesus says to John, he sees his mother at the foot of the cross, and he says, woman, behold thy son. And he says to John, behold thy mother. And some people think, well, he said woman, so that's his mother. Why would he say woman? Because he's calling her the woman of Genesis. Remember in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve had sinned, and God says to the you know, he talks to Adam and Eve, and then he says to the serpent, um, "What you know, because you have done this, I will ban you from all the animals on the earth. On your belly you shall crawl, dirt you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman. He says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. The serpent is Satan, the devil. And God was going to put enmity between Satan and a creature, a woman, a woman who would be the mother of the Messiah. Between your seed and her seed, he calls the Messiah the seed of the woman. Um, hearken, this is, the, you know, it's, it's the prophecy from God himself of Mary's immaculate conception and her virginal motherhood that she would never have sin because the devil would never be allowed to get near her. And then she would be the mother of the Messiah. She was to, to be a virgin mother. Her seed, that the Messiah would be born of a virgin because he is the son of God. And so, but this culminates in the cross. And we see at the, at the end of the, the Bible, by the way, the book of Revelation, and no, the book of Revelation is not some prophecy about the end of the world. The book of Revelation has a specific historical context in which it was written. And I talked about that last week and I recommended an excellent book to you. So please listen to last week's show. Go back and listen to that podcast and, and read that book on the book of Revelation. But at the end, we have what? In, in chapter 13 of the book of Revelation, well, no, in the, excuse, chapter 12. At the end of chapter 11, you have John sees in the heavens God's temple opens and in his temple the Ark of the Covenant could be seen. The Ark of the Covenant. Who is the Ark of the New Covenant? Well, the fathers of the church tell us that the Ark of the New Covenant is the Blessed Virgin Mary. Why? The Ark of the Old Covenant contained the Ten Commandments, the manna, Moses' staff, right? It, it carried the Ark of the Covenant. It carried the covenant that God made with his people. Well, in the New Testament, the covenant God makes with his people is made through with and in his son. And who carried his son? The Blessed Virgin Mary, Mary of Nazareth, who was espoused to Joseph. And so Mary 
is there. And then in chapter 12, you have the woman clothed with the sun, the woman clothed with the sun, with the moon on her feet and on her head was a crown of 12 stars. And under, she's standing on the moon. um, The sun is behind her. She's clothed with the sun. And she labors to give birth. And she gives birth to a male child who is destined to rule the nations with an iron rod. Well, who is the male child? Jesus. And then what appears in the sky? A dragon, the huge dragon whose flaming red was seven heads and ten horns and on his diadems were... On his head were seven diadems, and his tail sweeps a third of the stars from the sky. The stars represent the angels. And he takes a third of the angels with him, Satan, who rebelled against God. Apparently took a third of the angels with him. And so he stands before the woman in order to devour her child when it should be born. And he can't do it. So his child, the child is caught up to heaven because the child is the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And everybody everybody acknowledged that. And everybody acknowledges, oh, well, that the... the um, the, the, the serpent is obviously the devil. But then when it comes to the woman, they're like, oh, well, that, that, must, be some, that must be the church, not a person, but, but just the church. Well, you know, here's the deal. So then the woman, the, the devil is angry at her because she's given birth to this male child and he goes after her and he's not allowed to touch her. He's not allowed to get near her. She's protected. And so then he goes off to make war on the rest of her children all of those who bear witness to Christ and keep the commandments of God. Check it out, Revelation 12. But what's the point here? The cross, the cross, the cross, the cross. Jesus Christ did not save us through the resurrection. The resurrection is the greatest proof of his divinity. Okay, and without the resurrection, yes, the cross is just a, tor- well, it's a torturous death and it's not just, it's the death of a prophet, and, and he would, you know, without the resurrection, he would be another one of God's prophets who gave us the message of redemption that God hasn't forgotten his people and he still wants to redeem them. But, but the resurrection shows that he is the son of God, that he can raise himself from the dead and he can't stay dead because he's God. But it's interesting. What is the resurrection without the cross? Remember, Paul tried to preach the resurrection without the cross in Athens. And he didn't get very many followers. They laughed at him. The idea of the resurrection, the Jews didn't get the idea of the resurrection either. Not, not in the sense of really, I mean, some of them did. Yeah, we, you know, Martha, remember she said, I believe in the resurrection on the last day. But that actually people could rise from the dead and be in heaven with God in their bodies, that our bodies would rise from the dead. And so Jesus here in the book of Revelation shows us that when we follow him, even though we suffer, that suffering is for glory and we will share in his glory for all eternity. So the suffering isn't meaningless, but the resurrection without the cross becomes some syrupy sentimentalism where I don't have to suffer and Jesus has taken away all suffering because he came into the world and redeemed it. So obviously if we're suffering, we're not doing God's will or the devil's, puni- the devil's tempting us or, or punishing us. So I hear the music playing and I will be right back after this break. And we're going to talk more about the cross and the meaning of the cross on this Friday, September the 16th, 2022 on Virgin Most Powerful Radio, Bible with the Barbers. Tell your friends to join in. 
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, September the 16th. This is the feast, by the way, of Saints Cornelius and Cyprian, both martyrs, both who carried their cross, okay, and, and didn't, didn't give in to um, any temptation to abandon Christ for the sake of not offending the political officials or not offending the people around them. No, Christ, 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 only Jesus Christ. This is why we're here. This is why we're, we're here to, to, to be with Christ, to serve with Christ, and to be like Christ. So we're talking about the cross. And I just, you know, when I was 19 years old, I had an appendicitis that didn't get diagnosed. And I was sick for a week and a half, believe it or not, with a ruptured appendix before I was taken into surgery. Um, I was in the hospital 25 days after surgery. So because I was in the hospital for so long, I had several roommates. And at one point I had a roommate who was the mother of a Protestant minister. And um, she asked me, she said, you Catholics, it was a Catholic hospital. She said, that, that crucifix on the wall, why do you still have Jesus on the cross? And I don't remember what I said as a 19-year-old. I don't remember. I know what I would say today. You know, it's interesting. We want to think of Christ as only resurrected from the dead. And when we do that, we forget that he died. He really died and he really suffered. But he didn't just suffer and die so that we don't have to suffer. He did it to bring his presence into the midst of our human suffering. You see, some people think that Jesus Christ came to eradicate human suffering. No, he came to redeem the meaning of our suffering. Remember, suffering came as an intrusion because of original sin. God didn't make suffering. God didn't make evil. He did not make sin. Sin is a rejection of God. Evil is a rejection of good. God is good, and everything that God made is good. So the cross is there to remind us that we too, when we suffer in life, can unite our sufferings to Christ on the cross. And Paul would say that. He would say, I, I fill up in my own flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church, right? In Colossians, what do you mean, Paul? How can you say that? Well, each one of us has to choose whether or not we're going to follow Christ. And by offering our sufferings for ourselves and others, by the merits of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, by the graces he gained through his passion, we receive strength when we unite our sufferings to his. And we can also help other people be strengthened by the grace of God because God doesn't mind sharing his glory with us, and he doesn't mind having us as intercessors for other people. Paul told the people that he wrote to in his letters, pray for me that after having preached to others, I myself might not fall away. It's never once saved, always saved. No, we have to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. And that's what the cross is about. We, we are going to suffer in life. But what does our suffering have? So I... I don't know what I explained to this woman when I was in the hospital as a teenager, but you know, it was a beautiful time for me and it was a time for me to try and, try and draw closer to the Lord. My parents had taught us how to pray. We prayed the daily rosary. My parents went to daily mass. We went to daily mass. Thank you, God, by the grace of God. Uh, we had been in the Legion of Mary. We had worked, you know, on evangelization within the church. And um, 
we had done all these things, but there's always a drawing closer. There's always a drawing nearer to the Lord. And this appendicitis that didn't get diagnosed and that I, I lived for a week and a half with a ruptured appendix before they even took me into surgery. And by the time they took me into surgery, I was so sick. I spent 25 days after surgery in the hospital. The doctor personally, the surgeon, the surgeon who did the surgery personally irrigated my wound. He left the wound open. He irrigated it once a day. He had his nurses irrigate it a second time. Twice a day, they irrigated that wound to clear out the infection, the peritonitis that was in my intestinal cavity. And they gave me antibiotics. They gave me IVs. I had a GI tube. I couldn't eat anything by mouth for over a week. I think it was two weeks the GI tube was in. After surgery, I was pretty darn sick. And all the doctor told my mom when I came out of surgery was, well, with a case like this, you never know. And so, you know, today, you know, it's like, well, with all of this suffering I was going through, I could look at this woman who asked me, why do you have the cross? And it's like, well, it's a reminder to me to unite all of my sufferings to Jesus. It's a reminder to me that Jesus didn't come to take away the human suffering, but he came to fill it with his presence and that he's with me in this suffering. And that through this suffering, I can become like Christ and I can participate in his work because he is God and he is generous. He shares his whole life with me. It's not something I fully understood at the age of 19. Believe me, I had a lot of growing in the faith to do. And that, that suffering, that time of suffering was a great time. It also, I had, I had two sisters in the convent. None of them were fully, neither of them were fully professed at the time. One was a junior sister, and I believe, and one was a novice. Um, one of them is fully professed now, but one of them, that was not her vocation. And she didn't remain in the convent. But they brought me books to read books about the saints and books about Jesus, you know, to, to remind me, to help me to keep my focus on the reality of the fact that God is with me in the midst of this. I'm not alone. I have, don't have to bear this alone. And all of it has meaning. You know, there's a beautiful woman, Johnny Erickson was her maiden name. Her name is Johnny Erickson Tata. She started, um, she calls it a ministry. She's Protestant. Um, taking wheelchairs around the world. It was Johnny and Friends, J-O-N-I. I know people think she, she wrote in her first book, Johnny. People think her name is Joni, but her name, she said, my name is Johnny. I was named for my father, John. So Johnny Erickson, Johnny Erickson Tata, um, uh, wheelchairs for people. Uh, it's called Johnny and Friends. And um, she, you know, broke her neck in a diving accident. Um, and she became a, quadriplegic, quadriplegic. She went from being an Olympic slated diver. She was training to be in the Olympics as a diver to being a quadriplegic at the age of 17. And she, it took her five years to accept her injury because in her view, in her worldview as a Protestant, suffering was a punishment from God for our sins. And the only reason we suffered is because God was punishing us for our sins. And so her friends would pray over her and they would take her to faith healing and they would pray over her for healing and she wouldn't get healed. And after a while, her friends started saying to her, Johnny, you just don't have enough faith in God that he can do this. And Johnny says in her book, I prayed with all the faith I could muster. And I believe it's in her book a step further, but it might've been in Johnny also. There were two books there that I read. And she talks about the fact that she kept reading the letters of St. Paul And by reading the letters of St. Paul, she came to the understanding of redemptive suffering. She thought her suffering was a punishment from God for her sins. And it was so 
burdensome to her that it was crushing her. And it took her five years to accept her suffering as a gift from God that he could glorify himself in her weakness and suffering and bring a greater good out of it. And after she accepted that, she was able to found this ministry. She learned how to paint uh, with a paintbrush in her mouth and to draw. And she paints beautiful, beautiful postcard pictures. She flowers um, postcards. Uh, what do you call them? <laughs> Greeting cards. Beautiful. And, and she started this ministry where she went, goes around the world taking wheelchairs to people who otherwise would just be laying in bed or crawling around the floor and never be able to have any kind of mobility. And tremendous, tremendous. And she learned this, this suffering has meaning. It's not, just, it's not a punishment from God for my sins. Yes, I can offer it in reparation for my sins. But once I've, part, once I've said to God, I'm sorry for my sins, yeah, there's temporal punishment due to our sins. We know that as Catholics. But Christ paid the price for our sins. And if we are willing to repent, there's no sin that can't be forgiven. As a matter of fact, today's feast day, Saints Cornelius and Cyprian. St. Cornelius was Pope only for a couple of years because there was persecution going on and he was exiled. But it was interesting. At the time, remember, there were people who had given up their faith in order not to die during the persecution. They had burned incense to the emperor. And there were those in the church, and this was named a heresy, who said, this sin cannot be forgiven. If you've apostatized to save your life, you can't be forgiven of your sin. And Pope Cornelius said, no, that's not true. There's no sin that God cannot forgive through the ministry of his church if a person is repentant. So if a person comes back and says, I'm sorry, I was scared. And yes, in my weakness, I renounce God and I'm sorry for that. Just like Peter when Jesus was in his trial and Peter was asked, aren't you a follower of his? And what did Peter say? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even know the man. And he finally, he, he called down curses upon himself to prove that he didn't even know Jesus. He was scared and he was running scared. But what happened after the resurrection? Jesus gave him an opportunity on the shore of the Lake of Galilee to redeem himself with a threefold profession of his love. Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? And he professes his love to our Lord three times to redeem himself from the threefold denial he had made. So you see, yes, it doesn't matter what sin we've committed. If we repent, God can forgive us. It's only when we harden ourselves in our sin. Judas went out and hung himself. And the scripture is very clear about Judas. And St. John Paul II has answered the question about, dare I hope that no one goes to hell? And St. John Paul II said, oh, there's a part of me that wishes I could, but I dare not because... It would deny the evident witness of Scripture. Yes, we can go to hell for our sins if we refuse to repent. But if we are truly repentant for our sins, there's nothing that God can't forgive us. God is love and he wants to forgive us. Jesus Christ died on the cross to save sinners. 
sinners. He came to save sinners. Remember, he didn't come to save the self-righteous. Well, what do you mean he didn't come to save? He didn't come to save the people who say, look, I don't need saving. I don't have any sin. And, say, and, 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 and Jesus said, because you say you don't have any sin, your sin remains. And because it remains, it can't be forgiven. It's only when we say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Remember the two men who went up to the temple, right? The Pharisee stood in the front. Oh, Lord, I'm so great. I fast and I do such wonderful things for you. And I'm wonderful and I'm holy. I'm not like this publican in the back, a miserable, wretched sinner who's, who's offended you. And the publican in the back is just saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And who did Jesus say went home justified? Not the one who was standing in the front singing his own praises, but the one in the back who couldn't even raise his eyes to heaven because he was so sorry for his sins. From the depth of his heart, he was sorry. Jesus, give us sorrow for our sins. If I'm not in the state of grace, put me in the state of grace. If I'm in the state of grace, keep me in the state of grace. And help me cling to your cross. Don't go away. We'll be back with more on the cross and the meaning of the cross in our lives. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. Terry started the show, but he's babysitting our grandson, so we switch places. Give him a little break. He did his show at 11, and then he has another show this afternoon to do. So um, Terry's a busy guy, so keep us all in prayer. And, and keep all of us, you know, we're here to support one another in our faith. We want to grow in faith, hope, and love every day. And, and that's, we just asked, my God, I believe in you, increase my faith. I hope in you, increase my hope. I trust you, strengthen my trust. I love you, let me love you more and more. Lend me your love, O oh my God, with which to love you, that you may be loved as you deserve, St. Teresa of Lezu teaches us. Jesus, lend me your heart with which to love my neighbor that I may love my neighbor as you commanded. She also teaches us. So we're talking about the cross and the meaning of the cross. And the cross of Christ, no, Jesus is not still dying on the cross. We Catholics do not believe that we crucify Jesus every time we offer the holy sacrifice of the mass. But we do believe that the altar of the new covenant is the Lord's cross, from which the sacraments of the Paschal mystery flow. On the altar, which is the center of the church, the sacrifice of the cross is made present under sacramental signs. We don't believe we're crucifying Christ again. We believe that in his risen, ascended, glorified state, acting through the priest, there's only one priest, the high priest, Jesus Christ, and all ordained priests participate in the one priesthood of Christ. And Jesus Christ acts in and through his priest to make present to us his one eternal sacrifice in his risen, ascended, glorified state. And again, as I started out this show with the, you know, the story about the, my appendicitis and the lady who asked me about the cross and why do we have Jesus on the cross? Well, there's another very good reason. Go to Revelation 5 and read what it says. John has been taken up into heaven. He sees the heavenly throne room. He sees the angels and the 24 elders singing before the throne of God. And then he, he someone brings this, this, scroll 
to to the throne and there's no one found open no one found worthy in heaven and earth to open it and john begins to weep because he 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 senses within himself this desire for the knowledge that's on the scroll and he begins to weep and the angel says to him do not weep the lion of the tribe of judah has conquered this is revelation 5 and john turns and what does he see he sees a lamb but a lamb that is standing looking as though it has been slain. The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ the Lord, who died on the cross, who although he is in heaven, still bears his scars and offers himself perpetually before the Father as an offering for sinners. He hasn't stopped offering himself. Even in his risen, ascended, glorified state, he still bears his scars. The victim who immolated himself is no longer dying but lives for all eternity, that act of immolated love. And it is from that act of immolated love, from the mystery of his paschal mystery, which is the mystery of his entire passion, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, and glorification. All of that is presented to us in the mass mystically. And that's the sacramental life of the church. From that flows the sacramental life of the church, why is the Eucharist the source and the summit of the Christian life? Because the Eucharist is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is really present in the Eucharist. Body, blood, soul, and divinity. In his risen, ascended, glorified body, the Lamb of God bearing his scars, the victim who immolated himself, who's no longer dying, but still offering that act of immolated love. And that calls for a response from us. It calls for us to live a life in union with him, to give up our sins for conversion. So we don't believe we're crucifying Christ at Mass. It's, I, that's another great story. When I was about 13 years old, my oldest brother said to me, did we crucify Jesus at, at Mass? And I'm like, well, the Mass is the reenactment of Calvary. Yeah, I guess we do, I said out loud. And, and he looked at me and said, heretic. But he didn't explain it to me. No, yes, it's the reenactment in Cal of Calvary, but in an unbloody manner. Jesus is no longer suffering on the cross. We don't have the cross in our, in our studio here to, to say that Jesus is still suffering. We have it here to remind us of his suffering, what it cost him, and that our sufferings too can be united to his. As Paul says in Colossians, I fill up in my own flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. And he also says in Galatians 6, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What does he mean? I give up the things of this world. I especially give up sin. And I give up any tendency within me to renounce God or not listen to him. We should be constantly striving to live in the presence of God and allowing God to accomplish his will in and through us. This is our calling. We're called to live like Jesus Christ. The second person of the Blessed Trinity really took to himself a human nature. He was like us in all things but sin. He never sinned. He never said no to his father. He was not a rebellious teenager when he stayed in Jerusalem after the Passover when he was 12 years old. He wasn't just exerting his manhood. He was doing the Father's will. There was a purpose in his staying behind. 
And when Mary and Joseph come back looking for him and they find him on the third day in the temple and he says, why did you look for me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? He doesn't stay in the temple. He goes back with them to Nazareth. So there was something about his staying that was for Mary and Joseph's purification and for us to listen and learn where and when to find him and to always be looking for him and searching for him. And that if we ever have the misfortune of losing him through mortal sin, that we immediately return and come back to him and repent. Conversion, conversion, conversion. This is, by the way, the, mis- the m- message and mystery of the cross. Our conversion. And by the way, our conversion is accomplished in daily life by gestures of reconciliation, concern for the poor, the exercise and defense of justice and right, by the admission of our faults to our brethren, by fraternal correction, by revision of our life, examination of conscience, spiritual direction, acceptance of suffering, endurance of persecution for the sake of righteousness, taking up one's cross daily and following Jesus is the surest way of penance if you want to be my follower take up your cross daily and follow me says the lord we will suffer in this life and jesus says that to his followers at the last supper you will suffer i am your head and i am suffering and and you will fall if you follow me you will suffer too but we, conv- we, we allow the grace of God to convert us and bring us back to him, to turn us away from our sinful, selfish way of living. One of the most important things is reconciliation. You know, in the Our Father, we pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive. People hurt us in life. People hurt our family members. People hurt their own children without meaning to sometimes, and sometimes it's just because... they're hurt and wounded. Sometimes it's malicious. You know, there are people, unfortunately, in this world who, who have been duped by the enemy, and the devil is our enemy, Satan is our enemy. And no, he doesn't have power over life and death. He can inspire men to go kill other people. That's horrible, awful, that's a sin. But he doesn't have power over life and death. Satan is only a creature. St. Teresa of Avila said, people are running around saying the devil, the devil, and they're scared of him. All I have to do is say, God, and the devil trembles. The holy name of Jesus. By the way, he's also frightened of the holy name of Mary because Mary is the woman of Genesis. She's the woman at the foot of the cross. She's the woman at Cana and Galilee. She is the woman in the book of Revelation, the woman whom Satan could not come near because God did not allow it because she is the mother of God. Mothers, mother persons, and Jesus Christ is the second person of the blessed Trinity made man. He is not a human person. He has a human nature. He's the second person of the blessed Trinity who took to himself a human nature. And Mary is truly his mother. And mothers, mother persons, not just natures, And therefore, she is truly the mother of God. 
as well as the mother of his human nature. And he gets all his DNA from her. And by the way, all of the Protestants out there who are, might be offended by this, please go get the book, The Reformers Praise Mary. None of the Protestant reformers denigrated the Blessed Virgin Mary. It wasn't until one or two generations after the Reformation that the Blessed Mother got shoved under the rug and under the carpet and trampled upon by Protestants. Get the book. Look it up. The, the Reformers Praise Mary. Mary stood at the foot of the cross. She shows us how to follow Jesus. She was the only one there at his conception. She takes him to Elizabeth and Zechariah to sanctify John in the, the womb of his mother and to sanctify their home. She lives with Joseph as his wife, but not in conjugal relations, but in sharing of all of her spiritual goods with him. And he shares all his spiritual goods with her. There's a mutual sharing there. And they both suffer with Christ, even in his infancy. You know, he's born in Bethlehem. So they have to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem. There's already suffering there. There's great joy. This baby's going to be born and this is awesome. And then they get to Bethlehem and well, the only thing Joseph can provide is a stable, but he cleans it up. It's not a dirty stable. Believe me, there was no dirt in that stable. Joseph saw to that. It was clean. He cleaned it. You know, poverty doesn't mean dirt. It doesn't mean you have to be dirty. Laziness is dirt. Even if you're poor, you can be clean if you work at it. You may not be able to buy soap, but use use water to clean you. Do the best you can. I'm not putting down poverty, believe me. And the music is playing. And we'll be back on the other side of this break. We're talking about the cross, the cross in our own lives. And how does the cross of Jesus inform us how to carry our cross daily? Don't go away and invite your family and friends to join us. Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, Call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday. This is September the 16th. We celebrated the Feast of the Holy Cross, the Exaltation of the Holy Cross this weekend, the Feast of Our Sorrowful Mother. Today we celebrate the Feast of two two martyrs, uh, Cornelius and Cyprian. Cornelius was a pope. Cyprian was a, a bishop, and he's a doctor of the church. He was a bishop in North Africa. So um, we look to the saints. Remember in Paul's letter to the Hebrews, it says, here we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses that we too will lay aside every encumbrance of sin that clings to us. So we're talking about the cross of Christ. And what does this mean? Jesus Christ came to save us from sin. He didn't come to eradicate human suffering. So all of our sufferings can be offered up in union with Jesus to help redeem the world. And um, it, we were talking about our Blessed Mother and St. Joseph and their suffering. They suffered. Even in the midst of their joys, they suffered. And we can offer our joys also in union with Christ crucified and union with the, the joys of Jesus. He, he rejoices over the conversion of sinners. Even in the midst of his suffering, he knows joy. And so did the Blessed Mother and St. Joseph. And even in the midst of their joys, they knew suffering. As we talked about, you know, they're traveling to, from Nazareth to Bethlehem and then from, and of course, the, the trial of St. Joseph when he found out Mary was pregnant and, and discerning that she, this must be a mystery of God and he didn't feel worthy to draw close to this mystery and he had to wait for God to inform him that, no, this is, you are part of this mystery. You need to be part here to part, protect the Messiah and his mother. And then they have to flee to Egypt because Herod wants to kill the child. Oh my, <laughs> 
An innocent child? Who would ever want to kill an innocent child? Oh no, what kind of a world do we live in today? As Ben Shapiro likes to say, what universe do you live in that you think that a woman has a right to kill her child? This child is innocent. It hasn't done anything. I'm sorry if a woman was raped or someone committed incest against her. You know, it, it doesn't mean that the child should suffer for the sins of the father. Please give the child life. And I know adoption is a hard option, but the child has a right. And there are many, many couples who can't have babies. And if you've had an abortion, go to Jesus and tell him you're sorry. Tell the little child you're sorry. Watch the movie Unplanned. Abby Johnson had two abortions. Many women have had abortions and they've repented. Numerous women. Carol Everett. There's, there's just, I can't name them all. I've worked in the pro-life movement for many, many years. And there are so many women. And there are so many women who regret their abortions, but their voices are silenced by the woke culture and the politically correct media. God loves you. He desires your repentance. And all of us can repent. So we're talking about the cross. And how is it that we are going to follow Christ in his cross? Well, we follow him the way Mary and Joseph did, by uniting all of our sufferings to his. And even in the midst of our sufferings, not to be complaining about everybody else, but to be looking to Jesus. Mary at the foot of the cross was not complaining about the Romans or the scribes and the Pharisees, the leaders of the people who had had Jesus condemned to death. Or the people who weren't there to support him. The apostles weren't there except for John. John was there. She was looking at Jesus. So when we go to confession, we Catholics, we go to confession because Jesus told his apostles, you know, John 20, look it up. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven. Whose sins you shall retain, they are retained. Why can a priest retain someone's sins? If he discerns that the person is not truly sorry. And part of being sorry for our sins is a firm purpose of amendment. But when he gives us a penance, the purpose of that penance is to help us to realize the gravity of the sin, but it's also geared to the duties of our state in life so that it's not so bad that we can't fulfill it, okay? We need to, you know, prayer, off, an offering, some kind of an offering of, of an alms for the poor, um, works of mercy, service to our neighbor, a voluntary self-denial, sacrifices, and above all, patient acceptance of the cross we must bear. These penances help to configure us to Christ, who alone expiates our sin. We believe that it is Christ who expiates our sin. The penances allow us to become co-heirs with the risen Christ, provided that we suffer with him. Romans eight seventeen. Romans 3.25, 1 John 2, 1, 1 and 2. We suffer with him. Then we will have life with him. The satisfaction that we must make for our sins, however, is not so much ours as though it was done through, as though it were not done, as though it were not done through Jesus Christ, as if we were the ones who had done it, that we're somehow earning something. No, we're doing it through Christ He's the one who gained the merit. He's the one who offered himself for our sins and gained all that we needed to be forgiven. We can do nothing ourselves as if just by ourselves, as if just by ourselves. 
We who can do nothing by ourselves, as if just by ourselves, can do all things with cooperation of him who strengthens us. Remember, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Thus, man has nothing of which to boast, but all our boasting is in Christ, in whom we make satisfaction by bringing forth fruits that befit repentance. The fruits have their efficacy from him. By him, they are offered to the Father, and through him, they are accepted by the Father. Look up Philippians 4.13, 1 Corinthians 131, 2 Corinthians 10.17, Galatians 6.14, and Luke 3.4. We believe that Jesus Christ is the one who merits our salvation. And we believe that we put all of our <laughs> sufferings through, with, and in him. It is through, with, and in Christ. But we truly want to give up our sins and repent because this is what we're called to. We're called to live according to God's commandments. And he gives us the power to do so by grace. But are we willing to get down on our knees and beg him for the help that we need? And yes, beg. Beg. We can beg from God all the graces we need. Christ has merited them all. We are weak. God will glorify himself in our weakness. In our weakness, remember Paul? He was given a thorn in the flesh, an angel of Satan to tempt him. And three times he begged God to take it away. And Jesus said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. So great, Paul learned. I willingly rejoice in my weakness, for in my weakness is my is power, the power of Christ brought to perfection. And it's when I am weak that the power of Christ shines forth. If I knew how to speak perfectly, if I never commit any sin, I might go around sticking out my chest like that Pharisee. Oh God, look at me. I'm so good. And everybody can look at me as an example and follow me. No, 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 no. God be merciful to me, a sinner. God be merciful to me, a sinner. No, if I'm weak and sinful, Lord, I come back and I repent. Every time I come back and I repent, I repent. This is the road to holiness, the cross, the road to holiness. It purifies us of our own self-reliance. It purifies us of our thinking that we can do it by ourselves. I'm weak and I'm little, but you know what? I can put all my trust in my Lord Jesus Christ. Oh my God, relying on thy almighty power, on thy infinite goodness, mercy, and promises, I hope to obtain pardon for my sins the help of your grace and life everlasting through the merits of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Redeemer, the act of hope. We should be saying the acts of faith, hope and love every day in the act of contrition, repenting of our sins, turning to God. We are all called to the fullness of perfection and charity. This is our calling as Christians, okay? We're called to live a life in union with God. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, right? Matthew 5, 48. Be perfected as your heavenly father is perfect. That can only happen if we surrender to God and allow him to glorify himself in our weakness. Lord, I am weak and I turn to you. It's like that. It's like God came into the grocery store and I forgot one thing. And somebody comes, I come home and somebody complains and I'm, right away I get upset. Well, did I do it for love of God or did I do it so that everybody would say, oh, mom, you did a good job, you know? So I'm not the best cook in the world. So my children don't like my cooking and they make fun of it. And what do I want to do? I want to defend myself and say, well, you're pretty ungrateful. I made a meal for you. And it's like, no, just surrender to the Lord and say, Lord, yeah, that's a weakness of mine. I'm not a perfect cook. I'm not a gourmet. I'm not Chef Ramsay or whoever, you know, 
I'm just me. I can cook. I can cook a meal that's edible. It's nourishing. It may not taste the great, greatest, but I do it, and I do it out of love. And help me when my children criticize me or when any criti- anyone criticizes me to say, Lord, that hurts. But you know what? That's my weakness, and I ask you now to glorify yourself in my weakness and help me to grow in holiness. And I want you, Jesus, to live in me and shine through me so that my children will see you and be drawn to you. It's not me they have to follow. It's not me they have to glorify. Yes, they're supposed to honor their father and mother. That's the fourth commandment. That's God's command for them. But I need to humble myself before the Lord. And, and remember, yes, as, as parents, when children are little, you discipline them and you teach them obedience. But when they get to be adults, you can't make choices for them. And you can just humble yourself before the Lord. Sometimes they don't make real good choices. And sometimes we're very hurt by the choices that our children make. And it's hard to watch them make mistakes. You know? But all of our suffering can be offered up in union with Christ, even this suffering. And God loves you. You're beautiful and good. You're made in God's image as a person to be loved. You're precious and dear to him. You were made by God. You were made for union with God. You weren't made for mediocrity. You were made for greatness. You were made to live in union with God. And we have to reach, this is what we're striving for, is to be perfect like our heavenly father is perfect. And how are we going to do this? We should use the strength dealt out to us by Christ's gifts. By doing the will of the Father, by keeping the commandments, by availing ourselves of the sacraments, all the graces he's given us through the church, confession, Holy Communion. We can go to confession weekly. We can go to Holy Communion every day. And many of the saints, by the way, went to confession more than weekly. They went every day. (laughs) But, you know, don't burden yourself. Don't become scrupulous. Sin is in the will. We examine ourselves. Did I choose that with my will? And again, we talked about this on a, a show we did a while back on, on the sacrament of confession. You can go back and listen to that podcast. I believe it was in August. A friend of ours just listened to it and thanked us for it again, that we don't go to confession to confess our feelings or our emotions. We go to confession to confess those things that we have chosen with our will that were wrong, that were against God's will. You know, this hour has gone way too fast for me because there's so much more to be said. But let us ask the Lord for the grace to take up our cross today and follow him one day at a time, moment by moment, day by day, living in the presence of God, like our holy guarding angels, asking our angels and our patron saints, the Blessed Mother, St. Joseph, for help, knowing that everything is done through, with, and in Jesus Christ, to the praise of the glory of God the Father, Jesus Christ is Lord. To the praise of the glory of God the Father, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is our Lord. Jesus, be my Lord. Come into my life. Redeem me. Help me to, to, to invite you into my life, into my weaknesses, and allow you to glorify yourself in my weakness. Share this with your friends and family. Tell them that we have a Bible study on Virgin Most Powerful Radio, and we'll see you next week, God willing.